Cause they'll steal you if you don't watch out Talk about canning Hi, so we're back, everybody. Have you missed us? It seems like it's been ages. We took a break and then it turned into a bit of an extended break. Didn't it, Sash? Welcome, Sash. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we just forgot about it. <laughs> it's just been really busy. On. Yeah, it has been busy and I've not been very well and I've got my bits sorted and Sash has been busy as usual. She's very busy, B. <laughs> Today is super fantastic and I've been wanting her for a very long time and I'm really pleased to say we have the wonderful Kate Austin and to all you Woodside listeners because I know there's going to be a lot of you that will be Miss Austin to you so welcome Kate thank you thank you for having me that was a lovely surprise oh it's been thanks for agreeing to it (laughs) all right (laughs) so before we go back in time Okay, we're going to go forward to now a little bit because you mentioned horses and uh, racing. Can you just tell the listeners what it is you're actually doing at the moment? Well, to be honest, can I use a naughty word? You can. You can say whatever you want. At the the moment, my job consists in doing bugger all. And um, they aim it for a swear word, Kate. Sorry, (laughs) but come on, I thought you was going to go for it. But because because I'm because I'm retired, so I retired seven years ago. Um, but before I retired, um, when I stopped smoking, um, I then uh, got a share in a racehorse. Um, my grandfather had been a huge gambler, so when I was very young, he sat me down with him to watch the greatest jumps horse of all times, a horse called Arkle. And although I'd forgotten all of that, when I stopped smoking, um, my fella then said to me, you know, you need an interest. You need to do something with that money. Otherwise, you'll you'll just fritter it away on silly things like holidays and (laughs) going out for meals and enjoyable things (laughs) so I decided to fritter it away by getting a share in a racehorse and then the opportunity came um a few months later to get my own um and he was called executive decision because it was And he cost he cost me the princely sum of five pounds. Wow! Yeah, I know. Um, He'd cost his previous. He's only got three legs. (laughs) Wow! (laughs) You say that? Yes, because he'd um, been brought down at Aintree when he was running in the Champion Hurdle. He'd been a very high class horse, and his owners didn't want him anymore. And once they're injured, that's it. Well, <laughs> yes and no. Depends on oh. the injury. Really okay. does depend. And how patient you are. Mm. And how much yeah, time. Yeah, it's all about it. money. So they sort of wipe their mouth most of the time, didn't they? No, they don't, actually. That's they the not? Point. Uh, no, no. Mm. Um, what happens, it depends, like I said, depends on the injury. Okay. And you can't ask, in some cases, with some breaks, 
You mm. cannot ask a horse to stand on three legs. Bear in mind, it weighs half a ton, a thoroughbred mm. minimum. You can't ask that horse to live on three legs and run and have a quality of life. Mm. No, I know like, you can't. It's, it's wrong to keep it in it's a box like 24-7. A, yeah, yeah, it's not a cat or a dog. No, it's com- it's the the yeah. the um, medical side of it's completely different. I know. Look, um, one of my friends, she's got horses, and basically, even down to insurance, once they've damaged one leg, they will not insure that leg again. Yeah, d- it depends. Yes, that's if they're in. That's if they're hacks. And that's in just the field, a normal. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. just a normal horse. So if you've got a thoroughbred or a racing horse, it must be even worse. For the insurance. Well, it's yeah. They're, they're, I mean, there are different kinds. My my insurance policy, which is um, seriously um, expensive, mm. more than the else. It actually covers life-saving surgery. Gosh. Yeah. And no, hers covers all week, of that. Three but weeks literally. Stay in hospital. Yeah. Yeah, it covers a three-week stay in hospital too. So. No, it covers a lot, but basically, it's they want so much to cover that leg once it's been injured for the slightest little thing. It's like they're out. Do you know what no. I mean? It's gone a little bit lame or it's had a little twist. It's they're out, like all insurance policies. Do you know what I mean? And as I say, they're like her pets. They're not... Yeah, maybe... Every, yeah, every one of my racehorses that I've had since, because this was going back... I got aired in 2002. Mm. And... Basically, his owners didn't want him. And he would have been, well, God knows where he would have ended up. Myself and my trainer took a chance. Mm. And um, as I say, I paid his owner a fiver as a a peppercorn cost. Goodwill. So that he became mine. What I didn't want was what I called false giving where you give something back, and if it turns out to be better than you think it actually is, they might want it back again. Well, this broken-down old nag won three races and was very rarely out of the next... for the next eight years, was very rarely out of the first four, Mm. um, and lived the life of Riley. And when he retired, went off to live... You'll remember this name... Scylla went off to live with David and Judith Fawcett at their place in Suffolk. <laughs> Mr Fawcett, yeah, OK. <laughs> you remember him? Deputy yeah. Head of Woodside? Yes, all the listeners. And Dave, will know you that. rode him as a hack. Yeah. So all those insurance policies actually, and, and the brilliance of vets, not only mm. gave him a fantastic racing life, mm. um, it gave him a wonderful life after racing and those charities you know um uh retire retiring of race horses and all of those they're the ones world horse welfare racing welfare they're the charities that i support yeah my nan and granddad used to have a farm yeah sorry my nan and granddad used to have a farm and they used to take in retired horses Mm. Yeah. Well, that's how, I fa- that's how I found you, Kate, on Twitter. I, one of your ex-students told me that she could find you, and I just thought, no, I, I don't want anyone turning up where you might be at work or at home. And so I found you on Twitter, and that's when I realised that you were, yeah, you're the 
you, you're into horses. I thought, she's like an amazingly pretty, intelligent, lo- lovely John McEwick. The complete opposite to him. But, you know what I mean? The you nicer know what? side. I, I knew John. Did you? I knew John. I met John several times. Yeah, we. I used to do um, a little um, programme. Uh, I, I used to be invited because I'm secretary of the London Racing Club. So I used to be invited to a programme called Bet Racing Nation. And it's interesting because I hardly bet. Um, but well, you have because you bought a couple of race horses. <laughs> oh, no. Not literally bet no, weekly. I never bet on my own horses, Sash. No, no, you're missing what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you're saying you're not a gambler per se, but you took a gamble and bought some cutler races. Oh, gosh, yeah. 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 yeah, oh, yeah, but they are, there's nothing, there's nothing so beautiful as a thoroughbred horse in full flight or full gallop. They are, and they're funny. Oh, I, I can ride and everything. I've been doing, I've done it for years. I haven't done it for years, but I've rode for years. I love horses. Yeah. And okay. I never did. I learned to ride of all places. At, I don't know, I don't know how old you are, Sash, but are you old enough to remember Camel Road riding stables in Canning Town? I, I, did, I used to ride on the Isle of Dogs because that's where I grew up. Right. Yeah, I learned to ride at Camel Road riding stables in Canning Town after mm. I came back from the Isle of Wight. I must have been about 22. God. And um, I'd gone on a pony trek round the island. <laughs> But the thing, the, the thing is, it, I was 22, mm. and after about four or five weeks, I was so determined that I was going to be able to do this because I was so useless at it. I was doing jumps. Oh, well <laughs> I was done. Jumping with with the horse because I've never I've never had a lot of physical fear. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I'm not worried by heights. Um, I wasn't worried if, you know, if I fell, it never occurred to me that I might not get up again or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I absolutely Health and safety it. weren't then how it is now. You've got, is the Beckton place still there? Go yeah, on, well, new, riding, new and riding stables. You yeah. used to be behind Sainsbury's at Beckton. Yeah. Right, well, then they're, they're still there, I think, because I've oh, seen, good. not that I've been there, uh, I can't think the name, but no, the pyramids at Beckton. Yeah. Yeah. Along by Richard House, there was one the hospice, there, that, yeah. and I wasn't. Yeah, there was one just a couple of roads before there. Okay. Yeah, and that was all closed down. So is Kate, that you're... still there, Richard House? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. of course it is. Yeah. Still there. You know, that was one of the first ch- big charity. That was one of the first charities when we were all at Woodside. Mm. Um, when they were setting Richard House up, it was one of the first charities. The as a whole school, we supported. Okay, I don't and know that. We used to. I don't know if you can remember this, and I don't know if it happened while um, the crew, your crew, <laughs> was still yeah. there. Um, but we used to do every year. We used to do a sponsored walk oh. around, the, and it, all it was. <laughs> The one that we didn't all fall down with dizziness, because all it was was walking round and round the circle. The <laughs> about 20 <laughs> times or whatever it was. Listen, as long as it raised money, it didn't matter. <laughs> Excuse me. Exactly. But because of course the one of for that then. And, I've and done we uh, did... the, the women's challenge in uh, Hyde Park for them. Okay. 
Richard House. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad it's still going. Oh yeah, it's still there. Because it's self-funded, isn't it? Like it's completely oh. self-funded. The yeah, government it's part of their conditions. Anything. And also, the patrons of Richard House are um, Imelda Staunton and her husband. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Carson. Yes. They're, they're, I, I met them there. Um, a friend of mine took some uh, portraits of some of the families with their children. And I went oh, to lovely. the I went to the opening night and she was there with her husband and it was such a great night and I had no idea they were patrons and she was just so nice talking to her about everything really it was it was really good yeah. right so good people they really are they do a wonderful job my cousin used to go there getting back to the past now so I'm going to come in with the first question which was what led you into teaching Kate I wasn't allowed to go to drama college. Hmm. That led Why? me to teaching um, because my grandparents convinced my parents that if I went to drama drama college, I would become a lost soul and go <laughs> off the rails. And what they didn't know was that I was already a lost soul and I was already off the rails. <laughs> um, so uh, I applied to university. Which university? Oh, my God. Now you're asking me. Now I've got to try and remember. It wasn't Oxbridge. Oh, I know. Um, I applied to Bristol. Mm -hmm. I applied to Lancaster because it was a new university. Right. Um, I can remember those two. I, I don't think I'd have... I might have applied to up to Liverpool... Nottingham, definitely. Um, what one did you get into, though? Pardon? What one did you get into? I didn't. My headmistress refused to sign my UCCA form. Oh, my God. Oh. What was her reasons for that? I don't know. Well, I do know, but I'm not telling <laughs> there you. Because <laughs> she was off the bloody rails, that's why. She thought I'd take her. I'll tell you, no, we actually had, when I was in the sixth form, and don't get me wrong, she was a terrific headmistress. And she'd been a she'd been a, um, a head of lower school at mm. Rokeby before she came to Sarah Burnell. Okay. Um, but she was very um, she liked things. Funnily enough, not dissimilar to me, I suspect. She liked <laughs> things done in a particular way, and so on and so forth. But you couldn't discuss anything with her. Oh. And she thought she had the right, and bear in mind I'm going back to 69, 68, 69, mm. um, 69.70, so I applied in 69. She, she thought she had the right to pry into the girls' private lives. Okay. Oh. And I didn't think she had the right to pry. To, pry. to, to you youngsters, it seemed shocking. But then it wasn't. There was a, you no, know, that was allowed to sort of like eat you and things like that, give you the cane. Things was different back then, weren't they? Oh, I first got the cane when I was six. Yeah, that's been going, yeah. That this was, is what I mean. Yeah. I mean, letting... One on oh. each hand. Mm. That's a bit vicious, isn't it? So how did you overcome that part? What, if she was opposed to it, how did you end up... Well, I don't know if it was because she had foresight or I don't know if she was just a mean old thing who didn't like someone who stood up and argued against mm. her. Yeah, um, didn't like that. 
Well, no, she didn't. But, you know, let's be fair. What adult does, does. when a child argues no. back? Rightly so, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, she signed my form for teacher training college. And that was the last, that was the third choice. Okay. Um, and in fact, thinking about it, I'm really glad she did. I'm glad she didn't sign my UCA form mm. because when I went to Nottingham, and I mean, I got in straight away, despite the prejudices of the people that interviewed me, I was asked, and I've never forgotten it, I was asked, um, tell me, um, how can you explain um, getting to this stage considering you come from the East End? You're one of the animals from the farm, so how come this has happened? Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, it, I really was. And I remember sitting there in my tartan mini skirt and my, my black lace skirt. Mini skirt. She thought, you know, you know I, and I actually looked at him and I said, pardon? And he, <laughs> he said it again. I said, well, I said, maybe I'm quite bright. Yeah. And maybe I deserve to be here. And if I could ask you a question, um, how did you get to be where you are? <laughs> yeah. I said, really. because what answers that answers yeah. it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think he was really taken aback by that. He was very, very... Um, he was you made very, him very think that man. was the point. You yeah. made him think. Where a lot of these people in certain classes of society sort of just assume that you're from the East End, you don't have a point, the only thing you can do is hold your hands out, have a fight, have a sweat, but you haven't got the intellectual to actually come back at them in a reasonable manner. Mm. But you do sometimes, even now, I mean, I'm in my 70th year. Um, you might want to cut that bit. I'll pay no, you. I'm going to clap um, instead. Because <laughs> you look great. You, got, you look great. Well, oh, I, think it, I, I think, I, I, if, I, if I can just jump in. Go. See, I, I came from a deaf family. Mm. So my first language was sign language. Mm. When, when my friends were playing with their dolls... Um, I was interpreting for my mum and dad in the local radio rental shop wow. so that they could rent their first television, okay? Yeah. So that would be in around 57. Gosh, okay. so both your parents were deaf, Kate? Yeah, I come from a deaf family. Okay, that's something I didn't okay. know. So my yeah. immediate family, my mum, my dad, my aunt and my uncle were all deaf. I was an only child, no siblings, and they didn't have children either. Okay. So. Everything was sort of on onto this hearing child. Yeah. Mm. So, in terms of discrimination, what I remember a lot um, going to Earlham Grove Primary School mm. was after my mum had left me at the gate and gone back to do her shopping at the Home and Colonial mm. in Woodgrange Road was um, other children taking the mickey out of her voice. 
Okay. Have the same voice. There's a hearing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. of course. And I learned to fight in Earlham Grove School Playground because I I just it used to fill me with absolute rage that my lovely mum couldn't hear what was being said. And and the other and the other thing was, I mean, my dad had been an amateur boxer. And he always said, the thing is, if you're in trouble and we can't hear you, you've got to learn to be able to look after yourself. Defend yourself, yeah. So I was an independent swimmer by the age of seven. And he taught me to box at the age of nine, which Peter Schwartz then found out in the playground at Earlham Grove (laughs) when when he took the mickey out of my mum. yeah. And um, plenty good enough. Well, you know, I just think, you know, so it's not that you have a chip on your shoulder. I think sometimes your experiences as a child growing up, I mean, they they definitely shape you. Um, Oh, of course. And they definitely make you want, in my case, I've always hated bullying yeah I can't stand bullying. absolutely hate it and I and and it's a it goes absolutely to the core of me yeah yeah um, it makes me um, see red straight away that red mist yeah well I don't get the red mist I don't I, I mean I can but I I I don't and 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 you know there were I've got to say it there were some when I started teaching in 1970, I started teaching at Trinity Boys School. Okay, okay. that's right. We talked about it. It's quite interesting. Yeah, go on. And um, let me give you an example of how different it was. Um, I, I was teaching English and drama, and I was replacing an incredibly popular teacher who'd left and gone to Eastleigh. And um, I had a class of what we would now say were year nine boys. And this is how different it was. And this is why bullying isn't just confined to children. And why we we as adults have to be very clear about the difference between boundaries, Mm. insisting that those boundaries are kept and rules and bullying. And I can remember teaching this year nine English group and the then head of faculty opened my classroom door. Now, bear in mind, it's me, probationary teacher and 30 lads from Canning Town, you know, 13 (laughs) and 14. Do they want to know about Wordsworth? No, they do not. So let's make it interesting for them. And I've got them all there. And this man walked into my room and he grabbed probably the least likely to retaliate lad in the room. Yes, he was a buffoon. Yes, he was the class comedian. There's no malice in him. There was no nastiness with him. And he grabbed him, and I'll never forget it, he took him out of his chair and forcibly put him over the desk and beat him with the cane across his must have done it about eight times. Oh, my God. And that was for nothing? Pardon? 
And that was done for nothing, no reason. Oh, no, there was a reason. He'd taken the mickey out of this member of staff. You know, this member of staff had a nickname, just like I did. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I do know what it was. <laughs> and um, But he thought he could come into my classroom, and I'm sorry, I'm very territorial. My room is where is a haven. It's a haven for everybody as far as I'm concerned. But more, more than anything else, my classroom is a centre for learning. Mm. It's where learning happened. It's where if kids wanted to ask me questions, they could. If kids wanted to come and sit in there at break because they were introvert, mm. because they didn't like being bullied over their emerging sexuality, which also happened a lot in schools. Yeah. I don't think kids necessarily realise that. Um, they could. And this man violated that. And I'm, the one thing I'm really proud to say is that I've never, ever, because, of course, it was around when I was teaching, when I started, yeah. I've mm. never picked up a cane, mm. ever. And I've never sent a child to be cane. <clears throat> OK, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back shortly. So hold whatever you're thinking, Kate. We'll be back. All right, my love. That was me. I forgot to. <laughs> I forgot to. What did you forget button. to press? I forgot to press <laughs> the record button. So sorry, um, everybody. Getting that's all right, darling. We, we missed. I, Kate was talking about um, this man, this teacher coming in and caning this child, and I was just asking her, which I'm going to ask again now, what was the outcome of it when he left? Well, as I say, I was left with 29 boys, jaws on the floor, googly-eyed, shocked, I yeah. suppose. Um, one very upset, very crying child, lad, and, um, and, and a teacher who was in a second week of, of teaching, mm. thinking, what the hell do I do now? Mm. Because you've got a lesson, but you've also got a young lad in tremendous distress. So how did you... Um, how did you well, I did something which it. today I wouldn't be allowed to do. Right. I just, <laughs> and he was literally draped over the desk crying. Mm. He hadn't so sat spiteful. back down. Mm, he, he, hadn't, he hadn't sat back down because his backside was too oh. sore. I was just mm. going to say, I bet he couldn't. Um, and his lower back. Yeah. Oh. Because, of course, when you're hitting somebody, it was like one of those old black and white films. Oh, Do you know That's what I mean? Horrendous. It, was, it, was, it was just appalling. Mm. He must have hit him about six times. Oh. And, um, well, six of the best. That's just That's so what they vicious. used to call it. Mm. Really? And, well, don't yeah, you think? Did. I mean, I always thought there were certain people that, I know it sounds silly, at the time, as a housemaster, for example, you had to cane a child if, because those were the rules. Yeah. And until people actually became activists and actively campaigned yeah. to stop caning, corporal mm. punishment, which yeah. incidentally still goes on in certain schools in this yes, country. Yes, it does. I'm not That's being funny. True. I think certain kids deserve it. <laughs> not being <laughs> made, but... yeah. 
But you know what I mean? The class clan don't deserve that. It needs to be no, set in the No, no, and do you know what? I mean, bless his cotton socks. I'm not going to tell you his full name. I'm just going to give you the name I always called him, which was Ozzy. Yeah. It wasn't Ozzy Osbourne, I might add. <laughs> um, but Ozzy was, I mean, bless him, he was as daft as a brush and as sweet as a nut. Yeah. And yeah. he wouldn't hurt, if, 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 if he saw a puppy in the road, he'd pick it up and take it home. That's the yeah. kind of... You know, he was a, he was a, he was a. Oh, no, he's a, a softie. Mm. Yes, yes, but quite often, silly softies get themselves yeah. into all sorts of trouble because they can't say no. Yeah, um, yeah. That's and true. that's what had happened here. He'd been with a group of lads. They were all taking the mick out of this teacher. The teacher heard them, and turned round. And who would be? You know that one kid oh, who was always yeah. caught in the act. Even <laughs> though there was a group of you, and please don't think I didn't know who it was. Um, and, you know, there was always that one kid that was that second after everybody else, and he was the yeah. one that got caught. Yeah. And mainly boys, because girls are far too sharp and shrewd mm. for that. Mm. Girls of course work. we are. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. In our group, in our group, it was always Kelly. She was the one that <laughs> always got caught. Is that yeah. Kelly Woods? Yeah. Oh, love her to bits. Well, you know what? You know what? I I thought when we when we spoke earlier, mm. you know, Kelly was out of all of you. I thought Kelly was the most maternal one. Yeah. Out of yeah. all of your group, she was very nurturing. Very nurturing girl. She was. Um, she used to come into my office, you know, occasionally and say, how are you, miss? <laughs> <laughs> I like she could do anything to help. <laughs> and I'd be sitting in my office with my coffee machine, yeah. my cigarette on the go in the drawer. She was probably coming in for a smoke. Smoke was coming out of my desk. Yeah, does that because Sasha just said, Kate, she'd probably come in to try and get a fag out of you. <laughs> well, I did. Actually, they were best weapons with parents. Coffee machine, a little bottle of brandy in one drawer and a packet of cigarettes <laughs> in the other. Uh, yeah. You as well as salted, weren't you, Kate? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Sometimes, though, the alcohol had been confiscated from the kids. So I just wouldn't <laughs> like that. <laughs> So you didn't have it in your bag. You didn't have it in your Excuse me. Oh, God, it's make me But it was, no, I mean, it was, was, but that sort of stuff Mm. was just dreadful. And I did something which today I would probably be disciplined for and called all sorts of names. I went and I brought him back up and I literally stood in that classroom and said to the lads, right, get on with answering those questions. And I stood in that classroom with my arms round this boy's shoulders mm. and just and just comforted him. I just held him and yeah. I literally yeah. was doing the okay, son, all right, all yeah. right, yeah, all right, all right, yeah. Um, and he said, I'm going to tell my dad, and I said, Good, mm. do it. Yeah, so definitely. You know, do it because the thing is, I mean, I know that there's that caning, but that's just vicious and barbaric. Yeah, it's uh, it. What it was was, and I'm afraid there were a few of these that you met along the way. Mm. There were. <laughs> for me, it was always a sign of of weakness if you had to cane a child. Yeah. yeah. I, some people have always said, "Oh, shouting at a kid is a sign of weakness." I don't agree with that. I think no. choosing when you shout at a child is very, very important. 
yeah, yeah you can't just do it all the time because it means nothing. Oh no, it, that yes. And if yeah. it's something, I, I, I remember that if it was something really, really serious, you drop the voice. Mm. You don't oh yeah, the, the voice. The same mm. voice, yeah. Mm. You drop the voice, yeah. and I'm sure there are a few ex-Woodsiders who can remember me starting a conversation off with, look, you do need to realise that. And it's that very, because, of course, I was a, you know, four packets of cigarettes a day girl. That's why I could afford a racehorse. I stopped smoking. That is literally <laughs> the only reason <laughs> I could afford a racehorse. Gosh, because I spent over four grand a year on cigarettes. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. of money. It's a lot you of know, money. Um, and they were crap cigarettes. They were silk cuts. So, of course, those silk cut extra mild, you'd smoke a packet of 20, and that was like smoking one player's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask you, Kay, you were saying that from um, um, Trinity, you went on to Woodside. I went on to Woodside. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. What was the year that you went on to Woodside? 1981. I'd been at Trinity nine and a half years. And, and I was told that I would never be allowed to be a housemistress because I was female. I couldn't be be a housemistress in a boys' school because I was female. Wow. um, Sorry, Kate, what was a housemistress? Like a house... We had houses. You know, like you have competitions. Yeah. You know, at Woodside, it was between forms. So, you like, you had to say... um, I'm trying to think... When I went to Woodside, we probably had... No, but what I mean, was it like a head a year or something like that? It was a different system to Woodside. Woodside had sections. Mm. Lower school, middle school, upper school. What you're talking about. And, um, well, back in the day, this is modelled on Enid Blyton's view of education. Right. Schools had houses. So being a school where sailing was, in fact, the school sport, um, because all the senior staff were sailors, Mm. um, in more ways than one, um, (laughs) they, um, by that, can I just say, I mean, they like to drink. Yeah. Um, Oh, right. Yeah, I get that. It could have been taken two ways. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, I'm leaving that open to interpretation. Um, But... um, we had four houses, Scott, Grenfell. How ironic is that? Oh, I was just going to say um, that. That's strange, wasn't it? Well, he was an explorer, of course. Uh, no, but I'm just saying strange, yeah. So, so Chichester. like Harry Potter. Oh, Chichester, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's exactly like how... That's a great Harry analogy, Sasha. Well, much better than mine. They still have yeah, them yeah. now. They still like have Harry Potter. A lot of schools have them now, Sasha, houses again. Cross's school had houses. He was in Compton or something. So yeah, no, I've, have, I've yeah. never... on. Well, in all the schools I went, not that I went many, but on the Isle of Dogs, we never we just had that. years. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. It's all come back. Well, you had years as well, but they, each year was divided. Mm. You know, so yeah. like in, I was a Grenfell tutor, thank okay. God, because I had the best housemaster of all of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's so you had, we had Scott, Chichester. Grenfell, I can't remember the fourth one. I ought to be able to, but I can't. Ross. 
Ross House. So um, was it very similar to the Harry Potter, as in, like, you done the competition and you got your points? Yeah, but nobody could fly a broom as well as me. I was oh, the only witch yeah. in the school. So... Um, <laughs> It was, but it was, no, it was, and the Interhouse, great for sport, great for sport. We were a small school. We were only 650, 700. Mm. Uh, we were probably the smallest school in the borough as a secondary at Trinity, but mm. we got to finals of all sorts of um, sporting competitions. That's where I learned to coach basketball and athletics, was at okay. Trinity. Um, I taught dance at Trinity. Mm. And, you, yeah. and yeah, well, that was that was something that I loved. I, I taught drama, dance, and English, and yeah. um, they were my mains when I went to teach a training college. History was my subset, um, but the um, they told me that I'd never be able to teach dance in a boys' school okay. um, because the lads wouldn't think it was butch basically they wouldn't think it was manly you know we're mm. from canning town we don't do dance yeah um <laughs> they'd obviously never been to the duke of fife in canning town or the dewdrop or the ship on the isle of dogs this is what i was and... just about to say <laughs> you'd find that they'd be more likely to do it with a female teacher because she's got that little feminineness about her that she can go come on come on just like you're dancing with your mum or you like well, they they could could more... and... no, i've got to say there wasn't much there wasn't much feminism going. Go, there was a lot of feminism, but there wasn't much oh, yeah. feminist, yeah. you know, fe, you know, feminine femininity going on in my, my drama studio. The thing that swung it was when I told them that Rudolf Nureyev held the world record for a standing sergeant jump. Now they all knew what a standing sergeant jump was. I it's don't a jump know where you that. don't run to then jump. Oh you yeah, yeah, yeah. From standing. It. You spring from a standing okay. start. Yeah. And the world record was held by Rudolf Nureyev. Okay. And when I and when they said, oh, you know, we, you know, they and, and of course the lads thought they were really yeah. tough and strong. And I put them through a dance warm-up. And then I'd have to literally pull them off the floor because <laughs> they were so knackered. <laughs> so, so were they it, were they sad to see you go? How did they take it when you were when they knew you were leaving and you're going on to Woodside? Because you're going to they, go were, to the they Woodside were they thing. were very sweet actually. The lads were the lads were lovely. I, it was weird because I left at Easter. Oh, so I left in the holidays. Um, I left in April, beginning of April. Uh. It was probably something like April's foot, April Fool's <laughs> I left at the beginning of April and then I went to Woodside as head of upper school and I was their first female head of school section. Oh. They'd had a senior mistress. Um, they'd always had a senior mistress, so there was the head, um, the two male deputies of course, mm. and uh, a senior mistress. And she, at that time, tended to do plasters and sanitary towels. That was her <laughs> um, and her sort of remit. Now, yeah. just before I'd got my job, Rosemary Martin, bless her, got the senior mistress job. And Rosemary, thank goodness for all her very um, mild and gentle manner, 
was not an elastoplast and sanitary towel kind of girl. Yeah. <laughs> so she, thank goodness, um, didn't believe in any of that. As far as she was concerned, she was there to support the kids' academic and pastoral mm. progress. Um, and, of course, I went when Woodside still had a sixth form. Mm. So I was responsible for what we would call today year 11, 12 and 13. Okay. And of course, um, for me, it was a huge shock because suddenly I walked into a staff room that was men and women. At Trinity, I'd been one of four women. Yeah. Mm. And um, at Woodside, there were loads of women, exactly. but none of them were in, they, they had some female head of years. They had some legendary head of years and Reynolds. Um, Anne Ford, as she was then, Anne Norton, as she became, Marge Penn, yeah. God bless her. Um, you know, you had those, Carol Ann Davis, all very strong women. Mm. Margaret Gaisley, bless her. Margaret, I adored Margaret. She was the total opposite of me. Gosh. She was head of needlework and she was head of fifth year. And before I went... She um, spoke to Tom Smith, who I knew well through Newham Sports Association. And she spoke to Tom, who was, um, I think Tom was head of PE. I think he took over when Gordon Davis left. And she asked Tom if, um, she said, I'm a bit worried about this um, Kate Austin coming to be head of school section, head of upper school. And Tom said, oh, why's that, Maggie? And she said, well... Um, I don't know how she's going to manage the boys. <laughs> and, and Tom said, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, some of our boys are quite tough. And Tom <laughs> looked at her, apparently, because Tom told me this in The Black Lion. <laughs> the Black Lion the last week. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, what did you say? And he said, I looked at her and I said, have you met her? <laughs> and Margaret said, well, no, I haven't. And Tom said, when you meet her, you will know straight away that she won't have any problems with the boys. <laughs> and Margaret said, oh, oh, that's good. Oh, good. And, of course, when we did meet, it, I think it was a real shock for Maggie mm. because Maggie was, um, although she was a, a Newham girl from West Ham, she hadn't had the kind of upbringing I had. She hadn't had the sort of friends, because I had a sort of split life, really. I had the very nice growing up, nice family, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But there was also this 13-year-old kid that used to troll up the West End with her mates to, you know, the club. Pardon? I said to beat people up. <laughs> well, no, actually, I was very good. I was, I was stopping and other people beating people, beat people yeah. up. But the great thing, the great thing about it, the thing that I found difficult, the thing that exercised my mind was how do you deal with the girls? Yeah. And um, I did find it very difficult at first. Not sixth form girls; they were lovely, um, but. There were kids, there were girls in that first fifth year who had hated each other's guts from year seven. All the way through. Oh, right oh, the way oh, through. That's always yeah. hard. That and, always and hard. Girls do hold a grudge, didn't they? Pardon? The girls, are, girls hold a grudge bad. 
And and I don't want and I I couldn't I couldn't understand that. Mm. Um because it just seems such a waste of energy. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'd rather I'd rather walk away um from a toxic relationship, from a toxic friendship or a toxic relationship than nurse it and keep coming back to it. Yeah. I, I'm confident in myself that I don't need to score points. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if someone doesn't like me, well, hey, that's their loss because I could have taken them racing, I could have taken them to Guards Polo Club, I could have mm. taken them, you know, for yeah. a night out at somewhere really brilliant and had a great time. Mm. Um, they, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they've lost out on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's um, good that you had that confidence, though, because not everyone has got that confidence. My parents gave me that confidence. This is and what my I'm grandma, saying. she, yeah, my grandma, she used to have me standing on the dining room table as a child, singing and performing um, <laughs> to um, family members while she played the piano. So you get this, you get this thing about. Being able to present, yeah. you know, a school assembly would have some of the staff at Woodside as gibbering wrecks. Mm. They they were terrified of doing a school assembly. Um, yeah. yeah, I never was. To me, it's like going on stage and giving a giving a performance. Um, God, Mike Walton even had had me um, standing up in front of the whole school singing Mary's Boy Child, the Boney M version. Um, So was it you, Kate, that was in charge? Was it you involved with the production? I I went to so many Woodside School productions. I didn't actually go to Woodside School for all you Woodside listeners. I know, but I do remember you. Yeah, everybody thinks I did because I was there. Yes, I was there a lot. Once or twice a week, I used to come to It was obviously at that school more than a proper school. Yeah, and I used to go there after school. Yeah, I used to meet people I used to go to the um all the school productions and one I always in particular that sticks in my mind was when the boys did the body popping where they wore black roll necks black trousers and the whole background was black and they had white gloves on do you remember that Kate now I'm trying to think who would have been their dance teacher for that and the people that were doing it were Lee uh, Mervyn uh, Desmond um, they were, and it was, Sash, it was absolutely brilliant, honestly. It was, it was so it was. amazing. And all you yes. could see, because the background was black, the background was black, and they wore black clothes, and you just see their hands. And Can their, you remember the year that happened? And their feet, they had white trainers on it. It looked great. Yes. That was, it just looked yeah. so good, Sash. You could just see all their yeah. I wasn't, I wouldn't have produced that. I I would have probably done something like the door tickets or whatever. Yeah, something because like that. Because, of course, yeah. by then I wasn't ahead of drama. The people who were head of drama then, there was um, Kay and Angie, and um, Tom would have been head of PE. Denise Lewington would have still been Ms. there. Lewington, yeah. Um, Dutchie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Craig, uh, Craig wouldn't have been there. That no. would be before Craig Foster, God bless Name him. Um, well, I'd say it was 19, it would have been 1983, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, like, maybe 84. Lee and Des and Mervyn were not in, um, I'm trying to think, I don't think they were in year 11 when I came, mm. 
but they were in year 11 the September of the year I came. So they weren't in year 11, April to July, but they were in year 11, up, yeah. September onwards. Yeah. But it was great. I, I, It was interesting because everybody had told me to choose the Stratford job. I'd been offered head of year seven at Stratford. Okay. Um, and I'd been offered the Woodside job as well. And everyone told me to take the Stratford job um, because Stratford was seen as a nicer School, a safer school, if you like. Woodside had a dreadful <laughs> reputation. What was the, what was the reputation of Woodside? What did they what did they say about right? Woodside? Okay, the reputation in the wider borough was, um, it was a very very challenging school. There were loads and loads and loads of social problems. The kids were out of control, which was ridiculous considering they'd had Fred Jones as a head teacher. Mm. Um, it was a racist, it was seen as a racist school. See, that surprises me. That does surprise yeah. me. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, and the exam results were dreadful. Okay. And um, so basically, it want to look good on your CV. <laughs> and well, basically, I just thought this sounds like the school for me. But also I'd mm. gone out as a teenager with some of the older, when I went to Woodside, I was in about 31, 32. Mm. And um, I'd gone out with some of the older kids, older brothers. Okay. That's or their uncles. Yeah. So you knew them. Yeah, there was a bit of common ground there. And and so when I went to Woodside, I'd get the occasional kid coming up to me and saying, all from Trinity, oh, you taught my my brother or you taught, did you used to go out with us so-and-so and and -and (laughs) so-and-so? And And I used to think, oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Yeah, he said, we he said, We've got to behave with you because you're, you know, and to a certain extent, that made life so much easier. Easier. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, and to be honest, I mean, yes, Stratford would have been lovely. It would have been sweet. But, God, I'd I'd have fallen asleep. Mm. And also, I I was allergic to year sevens. (laughs) I was definitely allergic to year sevens. I found it very difficult to operate on that sort of white nose cut knee level. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, oh. I, I loved and always have done, um, I love learning from teenagers. Yeah. You know, because I love their view of the world. And now, if I want to know anything about technology, mm. I don't ask someone my age, I asked my mate's granddaughter or grandson. Of course, mm, yeah. You know, um, and I also think we forget that what it's actually like mm. to start to realise who you are and start to realise that who you are may not meet with universal approval within your family yeah. or your peer group. And as as someone who, um, and I know people won't believe this, but as someone who got quite severely bullied at school because my parents were deaf, 
or because of my religion and the fact that I went to a different place for lunch and then came back. And remember, this wasn't long after the war. And I'm afraid fascism in the East End, that's why we had the Cable Street riots during the Second World War, because mm. there was a huge black shirt community in the Second World who supported mm. Hitler and Mosley and all that. So having had all that growing up as well and being an advocate for my parents meant that I felt I could I could do something. Mm. Make a know? difference. <clears throat> Say what? I said make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know if I did. I hope I did. I think it's very arrogant to say, you know, oh, I made a difference. But I know I did for some children. Yeah. yeah. I know I did for some children. Um, I I could write, I could write a book, um, but I, I wouldn't, but I hey, could. Sorry, what's your best bit? And your worst bit about being a teacher in all your years of teaching? It's easier to answer the second one because on, they, they stand out so much more. And even now I think about those children. It's the funerals. And there were quite a few. They were uh, quite a few, weren't they, Kate? And they ran the whole gamut. Um, they ran the what? The whole gamut, the whole range from suicide okay. right the way through to murder mm. um, with illness in between. And um, some of them you had to keep um, quiet about because of the context of that child's death. Mm. You couldn't say anything. Mm. Um, and that that was awful. Mm. We were talking the other day. Um, one of the, one of the best things I heard this week um, was that one of my ex pupils in my section has become a teacher. Mm. And when her brother left school. Um, and I think he must have been about 18. He was involved, if my memory serves me right, in a car crash or a car accident, and he died. Yeah. And you were at that funeral, Scylla. Yeah. And all your, all, all your friendship group would have been at that funeral. And I can remember his sister coming into my office the next morning. And when you said that to me, you know, during the week, I suddenly thought, my God, yes, I do remember that. And I, you, you think at the time, gosh, I hope I've, I hope, if nothing else, I've, I've, I've allowed you to talk to someone who's listening. But it's also the fact that you know the other person knows the person you're talking about mm. and has mm. memories of the person you're talking about, mm. which are not tragic um, and very positive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there were kids who were run over on that ruddy Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's before the bridge went up. <laughs> yeah, I lost yeah. a friend on that as or well. Playing, yeah. Or playing chicken, Silla. Yes, or yes. Or playing chicken. Yes, you that's know, true. One, one, one of my lovely, of my lovely boys um, died on that road. And I'll never forget because the kid he was with had already got across the road. Mm. 
And he said to me in, in my office when he was sitting down, I actually made him a cup of coffee the following, you know, after the funeral he came in. Because these things stay with kids and they don't yeah. necessarily want to talk to their parents about it, but they want to talk to someone who is an adult who knows them, who isn't going to judge them. Yeah. Um, it's like a safe space almost. Safe space, havens. Yeah. I really believe classrooms should be havens. They should be havens for learning. They should be havens for good behaviour. They should be havens for aspirations, yeah. for yeah. kids who want to move not just on but up. And yeah. I don't yeah. have a problem with mm. kids mm. moving up. You know, if you reach for the moon and grab the stars, that's not a bad life. Mm. Yeah. If yeah. you spend your time groveling about in the gutter, you will never, ever get out of it. You've mm. got to move that neck muscle, lift that chin and look up. And everything, you know, as a parent, what do you want? You want your kids to get not necessarily the best, but something that makes that they give them what they deserve and every child deserves a good education mm. every child deserves care and attention <coughs> every child deserves a family meal where the phones are put to one side and you talk yeah because how else do you know what is going on and there's as much in what they don't say as what they do say. Listen yeah, to the yeah. spaces in between the words. Yes. And I really, I really did believe that. And so for me, the worst things were the funerals. And I think back to some of those funerals, some of the, the, the loveliest kids, the kids that were ill that died um, in in from leukemia we you know we had a big match the staff our the staff and the our first 50 our first 11 football team in year 11 and year 12 playing the eastenders cast football team <laughs> raising money for the paul beaumont trust trust paul yeah, was the most I lovely love boy yeah. who passed who passed away That's um, right. That's with, a... with leukemia and you yeah. know what you know I, well, I, you don't forget these children. Mm. I don't know any decent teacher. You know, Tom and I and Dutchie, we still talk about these kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Best moments, um, some of them have got nothing to do with teaching at all. But I can remember, I'm not going to tell you her name because I suspect she might have been Kelly's year. Okay. So I suspect you might know. <laughs> All I will say is that she was ginger. She was ginger, bless her. She was a fabulous redhead. Mm. Um, and I hope she still is because she had the most stunning hair. I was incredibly jealous. Mm. Um, and uh, walking down the corridor and she was outside her science class. Because do you remember, you used to do integrated science before they split it, physics, chemistry and bio. They used, used to the be kids used at Woodside to... used to do integrated science, which yeah. I was very yeah. much against, because oh. the universities and the, and the colleges saw it as a second class option when you went to apply. Okay, I thought it was kids not being clever enough 
you know, academic snobbery. They thought it was kids not being clever enough mm. to do the separate sciences. And you couldn't go on, for example, to do medicine, dentistry or pharmacy mm. if you didn't have your split sciences. Okay. So for me, part of the job was to actually look at the curriculum, which, thank God, Mike Walton was very pro, Rosemary was very pro, Fawcett, who was deputy head there, was very pro. Doug Usher was a bit, mm, I don't know, I don't know, because he'd got used to a certain way. Mm. Um, but Doug, you know, once Doug was in, typical Doug, he was all in. Um, and we managed to change the curriculum so that we offered a wider range of things for, okay. for kids to do, which meant that their life chances improved if they wanted to go on to do something. You know, it goes back to the question I was asked at college interview. Why shouldn't a kid from Custom House become a doctor? Exactly. You know, why, yeah. shouldn't, uh, why shouldn't a kid from Plasto go on to write plays? Because people have got this perception, didn't they, about certain areas and certain classes again? Right. People have, well, you know, um, when when we used to go to Liverpool, on the odd occasion I used to go and watch West Ham away, um, the crowd would all be singing, You've got our stereo, but we've got our but we've got to canio. Mm. Now um, <laughs> but you see, in that is a perception that every scouser is a tea leaf. Yeah. Yeah. And that is no different to thinking everyone from the East End um, is the same. <laughs> is the same. Yeah. 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 A receiver of stolen goods. Good. Yeah. <laughs> More often than not, was the yeah. truth. <laughs> Yeah, and if you, know, you did, you never spoke about it yeah, publicly. But, but do you know what makes me laugh, though, right? And I've got to be honest, most things around the East End, whether they come off the back of the lorry, the da-da-da, it wasn't out of people's asses, but the upper crust can sell you these dodgy mortgages, endowment mortgages, that ain't enough to pay for jack and take everything away from you. Mm. Well, a lot of those people that sold you those mortgages, I'm afraid to say came from the East End. Mm. And a lot of those people oh, went and worked that. in the money markets in the stock exchange. My cab driver that brought me home from Waterloo so, Station. So, sorry, sorry. Bank. So they used to sell them mortgages knowing that they wouldn't do that? I don't know because I don't know what they would have said. Um, but I, I was brought home today. It just made me think... Um, my cab driver that brought me home from Waterloo today used to work in the money markets and the foreign exchanges. Right, let me pause you there. We'll be back, short break, and we'll be back with the final part. talking about the mortgage you're talking about the well, we, well yeah this sort of notion about um you know the class thing i think is interesting because when you're when you're involved for example in a in a sport like racing or um you have friends who are involved for example in polo um you realize that um some of these people um, have 
hell of a lot of wealth. The thing, the thing I, the thing is that most of them, or certainly all the ones I've met, have been absolutely fantastic. Mm. And a lot of them will work in the city. A lot of them will have started out from very, very small beginnings. A lot of them will have been lucky enough to have been left some money mm. from which, you know, they, they can develop more. Um, and I think it's a mistake, Sash, to think that um, they're all sort of dodgy practitioners who are trying to do the working class down. Mm. I don't consider myself working class by any social economic um, demarcation. I'm not because I went on to college from age, higher education from 18 to 21 and I've been a teacher all my life now by definition that means I'm not working class mm. but I suppose it depends on how you define it um, I'm I'm just someone who doesn't see why I should limit myself to certain things. If I want to go horse racing, I'll go to I'll go horse racing. If I get invited or asked to support a charity and go and have a an evening in the House of Lords, I'll go and do that. Because why should I let my roots define who I am? Yes, that is that, yeah, that's hundred percent. Definite. Yeah, that, 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 that's, I mean, what Sasha's saying fundamentally has been the case, but like you say, Kate, my sister comes from where, you know, we all come from working class area and she leads, leads, leads a completely different lifestyle now. She's in the music industry. She doesn't have the same struggles that we had then, but she doesn't apologise for it either. She knows her no, roots. No, you shouldn't have to. She knows yeah. her roots, but at the end of the day, yeah, there's only, you can't always put that class divide in the way because people that were once seen at this level have made their money for whatever means and developed and now they are at that level but they know where they come from you know they know what their roots are so yeah I 100% agree with that I did I don't mean like every single upper class person is trying to have a working class person over not at all mm. that's not what I meant by that um, maybe I should have said it a little bit differently, but that's not what I meant. I don't think anyone should apologise for what they've got and where they're going. I really don't. Do you know what I mean? And at the end of the... Yeah. Well, yeah, it's yeah. thanks, but, what, but it's lovely. Even, even, you know, even the t like looking at some of the, you know, the terms that we that we all know, upper crust and, you know, upper class, those, those terms, yeah. some of those people are mixing with all different people anyway they're not just mixing with the same people that they consider to be their class oh no, no it doesn't well, it, that doesn't no. and then, i think it de depends on the person mm. per se mm. no matter where you come from you're going to have working class let's say the let's do the three stages the working class people that wouldn't entertain someone that spoke nicely because they automatically assume that they're up, upper class person or yeah they think that it would be this way and i do think that a lot of people again it's the same with cultures creeds colors you all assume what the other person is thinking or going to be like because See, it's again, what your perception yeah i was going to say that could be true but that was never true in our house i've got to say if you look and you speak to a lot of caribbean people that were our parents didn't live with racism because they came from the caribbean they didn't experience it until they came to this country and other such countries but they've always instilled in us that 
that does not come into it. There's good and bad in yeah. everyone. There's crooked people in, you know. So we all colours yeah. came through our front door. There was never an issue about you can't have that one in because they're this. You can't. There was none of that happened. So that's why for my generation we get so upset now because we never had that. We when we're not like it with yeah. our children. Yet we're experiencing it, and some of our children are, and that's sad because here we are. You know, um, I, that's never been my philosophy at yeah. all. My 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 parents, and this is the thing I will always be great. You know, you people say to you, oh, who are your heroes? And they expect you to say, you know, certain sporting heroes and yeah. things like that. My heroes are my mum and dad mm. because they were born not being able to hear. They can't, my father was never out of work. Mm. He put food on our table and he paid for the roof over our head. My mother um, encouraged me to have friends of, at a time when it was not the norm, my mother encouraged me to have friends of all colours and all creeds. And your parents were and, Jewish, okay, is that yes. right? No, my mum was, my, my father was wasn't. It was, it was an interfaith marriage. Okay. Um, the Jewish religion comes through the, late, the woman, though, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, yes. I class myself as Jewish. Um, right. And um, are you a practicing Jew? Um, well, I do practice, but I'm still nowhere near perfect. Um, <laughs> so do you have your baking so, sarni on a Sunday? <laughs> well, my father used to come round to my flat for a bacon sarni on a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, because that was the one thing he couldn't. That was the one thing he couldn't give up, and he knew he wouldn't get it from my mum. So he come round once I'd got my own place. He used to come round to me on a Sunday morning, and of course, this was before the days of mobile phones and text phones. Oh, God, yeah. So, and, of course, I was I was his only child. Mm. Um, and, of course, you know what our parents are like. They never, ever thought that we ever had sex. Just like we never think our parents <laughs> oh, yeah, ever parents had sex. Yeah, and it makes that, yeah. us quite ill to think that they might have <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> And um, so my dad would rock up on a Sunday morning and I, I'd have to do, you know, I'd have to push him out the bed, get him behind the bed, get him under the bed and open the door. Because even when I was 25, 26, my father thought I was living like some sort of, you know, Mother he thought I was living like Maria in Sound of Music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, that's probably shocked half of Woodside's old population. <laughs> yes, yeah, their air is now standing on end. <laughs> yes, well done. <laughs> but um, no, it was so, I, I, I. That was one of the things you asked me earlier, Scylla, about one of the preconceptions about Woodside. Yeah, I can honestly say that the staff at Woodside mm. and the kids at Woodside, that I saw, I don't know what else went on that I didn't see, I can't speak to that, but I saw, I only ever dealt with what I would call one really serious issue of racism. Okay. And I dealt with that, and I dealt with the child that enacted that mm. um, and it never happened again. Mm. And um, I, it, I 
I was extremely angry about it. It's one of the rare times when I literally had to walk away from a child and go and sit behind my desk because I was so angry. Mm. Um, and one of the things that I learned, because at Trinity, in my second year of teaching, I was asked to head up a multicultural education working party. I'd only been teaching a year. Gosh. And that was because two schools had amalgamated. One had been a secondary modern, Sandringham. One had been South West Amtec. And suddenly there were all these male teachers who'd been very cosy in their predominantly white school. Mm. Suddenly these kids came across from Forest Gate, you know, as opposed to um, Canning Town and East yeah. Ham. Yeah. And most of them were black. And those teachers could not cope and couldn't understand how to relate to those lads. Um, the older well, ones. So they purely see the colour as a block, like not as a child, as a person. They thought, obviously, this is a black child. I'm used to dealing with white children. Was it that simple that they got that confused? Um, I, think, I think, you see, the trouble is, of course, a lot of the older teachers at Trinity had the notion of empire, not yeah. commonwealth. Right, okay. yeah, yeah. And they would always acknowledge, for example, the Gurkhas, the Jamaican troops, you know, all the troops, the African troops, the Kenyan regiments and all of that. They'd all fought in the war, don't forget these men, mm. you know. Um, and I'm always very, very careful when I, when I talk about them because they had attitudes, a lot of attitudes, and they said things that we would be horrified to hear. To, well, I hope we would be horrified to hear today. I was horrified to hear them then, you know, um, because I knew how my Caribbean friends, and they were mainly Caribbean friends, um, would react. Um, but they were also incredibly brave men who'd, you know, a couple of them were bomb disposal experts. Gosh. Mm. So you can't knock their bravery. So it, it, it isn't just one shade. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People are composed of many jigsaw pieces. Mm. Um, and what you hope is that, A, the good outweighs what you perceive to be the bad, and, B, that they continue to learn because people can change. Yeah. And there comes a point when you have to stop making excuses for people yeah. and you say, you are now choosing to do this. Yeah. Of course. You are now choosing to put that weapon in your pocket when you go out of the house. Mm. You are now choosing to treat a girl like, like um, she's worthless. Mm -hmm. You are choosing to be homophobic. Yeah. You know, you mm. are choosing to regard disabled people. Yeah, they're consciously making that choice. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. if you can't change their mind, and I've always said this, and I, I said this to a sports journalist mate of mine the other day, and it was such a simple thing, and he, he thought, 
And he said to me, he said, you know, I've never thought of it like that. And I said, you might not always be able to change people's minds. You might not always be able to change the heart and mind of a bigot. <coughs> Excuse me. But you can bloody well change their behaviour by making sure there is a consequence for what... <laughs> Bless you, my child. I was just going to say that. <laughs> there is a consequence for what they do. Yeah. So if someone, you know, one of the worst things I ever had to ask a parent to do was look under her son's mattress. Gosh. Because he had been running round with a machete in his bag and he brought it to school. Mm. And um, by that time, schools in Newham had um, a police liaison officer and they would cover two or three schools. Mm. And um, I spoke to the police liaison officer and I then rang his mum and said, you need to take your kid to so-and-so police station. You need to talk to this officer. I said, and you need to look under his bed. And she went loopy because she was saying to me that her son, the apple of her eye, would not in any lifetime Oh, have, one of them parents. Have, no, she wasn't. No, oh. she wasn't. She was a bloody good parent. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is sometimes you get these parents, they're like, my child would never do that. No, no, like, no, 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 no. She was an ex no, she was very aware that her child wasn't always, you know, uh, okay. a good kid. But she did not believe in a million years. You know, all kids can be naughty. She had that. She knew that. She wasn't silly. Yeah. Um, and I could ring her up and say, look, I need you to have a word, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. she would. So there was never anything like that. But she had a line and she did not believe that her child would ever cross that line. And I said to her, look, you need to do this. I said, you need to trust me on this. I don't say this lightly, but if the police knock on your door, he's nicked. Yeah. If you look under his bed and you take what's under his bed and what's in his bag to the police station with him, you won't be. Mm. Because one's a search warrant, suspicion of... And one is you being a responsible parent and saying, I want yeah. she lifted up the mattress and there was um, one of those huge screwdrivers, you know, like that. <clears throat> there was a, a hammer with a long handle and there was um, a chisel, big ones. You know, I'm talking about nine. Yeah. And she rang me back in absolute tears. Now, because we did that, and because she took her son to the police station, gave it all in, and he got an absolute, complete and utter rollicking, mm. which I think frightened the living daylights. I mean, they were churchgoers, you know, they were churchgoers, yeah, these people. Yeah, yeah. And she was, a, she was a nurse. She was a wonderful woman. Um, and that boy, about... Eight years ago, left university with a first in mathematics. Brilliant. And, and turn around. 
And so you know people can change, but you also know you have to change behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't make it okay for kids to run around with weapons. No. And, you know, I've always, and I say it sometimes on social media, do you know where your lad is? Mm. Do you know who your daughter's going out with? Do you know what is being sent over telephones? Mm. You know, do they all have GPS? If I if I had if I was if I'd have been blessed enough to have children, the one thing I think I would insist on is GPS on, on their phones. I would mm. have that. Mm. No phones at the table, eat together as a family. And every now and again, when they were teenagers, I'd look under the bed. And the other <laughs> thing I would do Well I would. I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm what? sorry. I, yeah. I would because I don't think people realise what how, goes on. And and also I have, I've got to say it, there is a glamour that has been bestowed from the craze right the way down to now. There is a, a glamour that has been bestowed by filmmakers and TV makers and um, documentary makers. There is a kind of a glamour about... And songs. And songs, oh. gangster love. I mean, some of yeah. the lyrics in some of the songs that I hear um, refer are, are the most homophobic things I've ever heard. Yeah, and breaking the law. Them, and a lot of them talk about women like they're pieces of meat. Mm. I know, I, you, I, I, I'm not quite sure exactly how you were, what you were going to say, but I think when you talk about the glamour side of it, there is a lot of um, that kind of lifestyle, the areas that we come from, working class areas, criminality. There is a glamour around it. But at the same time, some of the women especially if they were young and they were going out with someone that had all this extra money that had, it, it yeah. was glamorous for them. They could dress up. They were getting, some, they, they just had a yeah. bought for them. So they enjoyed that glamour because it's something that they never had before. So yeah, I, think no, it, I get all of that. It will always I come. So you can see the, the appeal to some yeah. people. Yeah. Right? Oh, it will always come with work them. hard. Yeah. Easy come. But with that glamour comes a side where you don't see your partner. They're out 16 hours a day. Um, when they come home, they've, they're thinking about what they've got to do tomorrow. They're not present. And so, so many people, their relationships broke up, families broke up because they never saw their dad. They never saw their partner because he was so busy getting getting to give to them. He didn't have time to enjoy it. Oh, they was in prison. Mm. Yeah. So that was that's a, the downside of it. But Kate, I was going to say finish by asking you um, the way the society is now very complex. There's so many more extra things thrown into the mix now. Um, what do you think? The, what are your thoughts on the future of teaching now, particularly in urban, in you know, cities? Well, once I retired from teaching, I never went back. Mm. Um, not because I didn't want to. But because I wound down and I stopped and I said to myself, right, and I've been offered a lot of money to come and work with would-be teachers and kids and, you know, come in and train stuff. Because I used to do um, gifted and talented mm. children as well uh, um, at Royal Docks. Um, and because, again, that was an initiative to get working class kids to aspire mm. You know, yeah, to, to yeah. realise that they could be doctors or engineers yeah, or yeah. whatever. And um, I think the biggest problem now 
is I don't know how much teaching and learning goes on. And is it all? I mean, I know schools that no longer have drama on the curriculum, mm, that no longer have um, design and tech God. or technical drawing or um, anything that's not considered valuable in terms of exam tables. Mm. Now, a lot of my work was pastoral because if a, if a child isn't if a child doesn't feel safe and secure if a child doesn't feel happy and relaxed those things stop them from learning if a child is a prime carer for a sick parent mm. where is their head when that child comes to school. And how often can that child come to school? To school so definitely. to a certain extent, yeah. You're, yeah. you're trying to create an environment whereby you can make that happen. Mm. And I don't know, because a lot of the jobs in schools, particularly secondary schools, it seems to me, have been taken over by TAs. Now, there is nothing wrong with a good TA. God knows I've been extremely grateful to the ones I've worked with. Mm. But there is a difference between a teaching assistant, even a senior teaching assistant, and a teacher. And a teacher, and a teacher or a rabbi, because rabbi means teacher, mm. looks at the whole child. And the whole child has to include the family. And because what happens out there affects what happens in of the classrooms. Yeah. So my, I would hope that there is still a strong pastoral system in schools mm. that supports the learning. And the other thing I would say is if a teacher phones you up and says, look, you know, he's not making the progress he's capable of. Yeah. He seems to be knocking around with, with a few people that since he's been knocking around with this crowd, his work has changed, her work has changed. They're not doing that mm. to get at your kid. They're actually doing that because they care about your kid. Yeah. And, hey, yeah. that's your job too. Yeah. I think that's and after the problem. And I'm not trying to sound patronising. The biggest sadness at the core of my being is that I never ever was able to carry a child to term mm. and I mean I'd probably make the most god-awful mum because if it was a boy and he didn't play rugby for England I'd kick him out and if it was a girl <laughs> and she never played netball for England I'd kick her out and if they didn't win the x factor I'd be raving um, <laughs> but um to me children are like um they're a gift well, they're unformed clay. Yeah. Okay. And and to shape that clay is 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 it's an honour, and it's a privilege, and it's a bloody laugh, and it will tear your hair out, and it will make you cry. Mm. And this morning, this is why I love it. I got a text. I'm going to name drop now. Okay. Go I got it. a text from a, a lad who was in my very first. Year 11 English class. What school? Okay, Trinity. Okay. And he sent me a text this morning 
and it was about the England-Ukraine game. Mm. And he's over the moon. He gave me a complete analysis of the game and told me what he thought Gareth would need to do. And he was absolutely full of admiration for Gareth. Mm. Um, and his name is Alan Kirbishley. Ah. And Alan and I first met on the 1st of September, 1973. And, it is now, and he's over 60 now, bless him. And because I would have only been 21. Yeah. And Alan was in, Alan would have been a 15 going on 16, just signed his youth papers with West Ham. Gosh. And um, it is now the 4th of July, 2021. And that boy sent me a text this morning. <laughs> that boy, yes, I love it the way I'm you say I was just about to say that boy, 60. I love that, the way that you talk about us all and you say, oh, you're all still babies. I'm 52 and you're still calling me a baby. I love well, that. Well, you are a baby. <laughs> you are a My dear girl, listen, if you'd lived the life I lived, mm. which is mad, I do live, I do live a, um, I live an interesting life because I'm a I'm just going to say lady. you sound like you're an you interesting know. life. But you see, I don't have I don't have immediate family, you see. Mm. So I have no children, I have no nieces, no nephews. I've got cousins in Birmingham who I'm who I see. You can adopt me in Silla if in. you want. <laughs> but what I'm saying is my friends are my family, family. and yeah. my horses. My horses are my family and my cat's my family. I think I must have turned somewhere along the line into some mad old cat lady. I don't know. No, you just uh, chose to enjoy life. Yes, yeah, because, you know, let's be fair, you're along, as I used to say, there are quite a few of the um, kids at Woodside, listen. You're a long time dead. In your box. You're a long time in your box and nobody buries you with a screwdriver. Mm. Although they are going to bury me with a screwdriver because I'm not staying in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you didn't I... realise the screws were on the outside, didn't you, Kate? Can I just um, kind of like wrap it up a bit by just telling you that, you know, what you talked about, your, you know, the, some of the students you've taught have gone on to do wonderful things. Well, apart from what I, you know, experienced growing up at home and growing up in the area and wanting to help, um, seeing, watching you and other teachers, a few other teachers like you at Woodside, I went on to become, um, I started off as a youth worker, they went on to become a youth work manager. Oh, and I, and and now and then one of my children was David Bigglestone. He walked into my youth club at eleven years old, and it was just meant to be. And now he's running um, running the very club that I was running. He's now youth work manager. He's doing absolutely fantastic. And I do look at him and think, "Wow, you're my project. You're one of my projects." And look how you ended up. So I get that. We haven't, yeah, we haven't succeeded with all of them. No, that's inevitable. Mm. But can I can I mention one name? Am I allowed to mention one name? Do what you we want. Spoke about her during the week. Um, when you told me that Lorraine Weber had become a teacher, the teacher, yeah. And I'm going to do it now. I cried. Oh. <laughs> I cried because let me tell you, and if Lorraine, if you listen to this, I've still got your number, girl. Don't think you can get away with anything because <laughs> you and I both know angel wings you did not have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
to be fair, there was when I looked at the rain as a girl, mm. there was a lot of I could see a lot of me. Okay. And the point the point is that sometimes you need a bit of bullshit. Yeah. But you got to channel it. Yeah. And yeah. I'm I'm so proud when I hear of my kids. And sometimes doing well doesn't necessarily mean having loads of dosh or whatever. Sometimes doing well means raising children to be decent human beings. Yeah. Totally agree. All the rest of it, you know. And happy. It, and and giving them values and yeah. and making sure that they don't cross over the street when they see something or someone in need. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And that's and the other thing I want to say is go bloody racing. Yeah. Racing. I'm gonna try it. I haven't been, but I am gonna try. You, it. you can come with me. That, that's a definite. I'll take you. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'll, I'll be, when's your next one? Well, um, I've got one that's in training at the moment. I've got one that's in Ireland at the moment and one in pre-training at the moment. Um, The one in Ireland and the one in pre-training, I bred. Mm. Um, I I, I went into partnership with um, my trainer and we've bred to and Bugsy, God bless him, Midnight Centurion is his name. Okay. Um, he's come second twice, and that just blows because they're now my children. I feel like a grandmother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's their um, sector, isn't it? Well, it's 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 just so, and that's why, to a certain extent, it broadens your horizons and it gets rid of an awful lot of those class prejudices that we all mm. have. Mm. Um, and I, I just, I just love it. And the other thing is, if if any of your listeners love racing, mm. um, then seriously, I'm on Twitter at kaustin four nine six. DM me and ask me about the London Racing Club because we're a not for profit club mm. that exists to promote racing. We um, certainly, I mean, obviously with lockdown, you can't do so much, but we go, you know, I get visits to yards organised, comps to races. Um, We have preview nights, guest nights. um, And it's, you know, it's just a good gig, you know. And we have a magazine, which I I edit um, and all the rest of it. And I, you know, I love it. It's, It's a life that's worth living. I, and, I think uh, me and Sasha, we're going to make our way over. Definitely. I think so. You can. Yeah. You can. And I haven't stopped drinking. I just want to say that. <laughs> There's still fine. a bottle of brandy just behind <laughs> me. Still carries a little flask. Flask, yeah. <laughs> oh, I do that as well. Yeah, slow gin and a winter's <laughs> day at the races. Absolutely. Okay, do you know what? Wrong. I can't thank you enough for what you've done. I, I, it's been a great interview. It's been really interesting. It's been lovely catching up with you again. Yeah, you've been really interesting. You've been I must fantastic. Say. So well, thank you for asking so me. And you know, like I say, if any of the kids want to get in touch or whatever, and so it's Kate Austin. Take what care. It? What is it, Kate Austin at Kate Austin four nine six. That's the Twitter handle, Kate Austin or London Racing Club. London Racing Club. You heard yeah. it here. You can get hold of Kate, contact her, send us some well wished messages. I'm sure she'll respond. Thank oh, you so yes, much, yeah. Kate. Let me um, know how you all are. That would be lovely. Definitely. All right, then. God bless you. Thank God you, bless. Kate. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye, bye Kate. Bye. bye. bye.